Hi, this is Rox from Trossex Wild Apothecary, and today I'm here with Wendy Barry. Um, hello, Wendy. Hi. <laughs> um, I thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you do and who you are. I publish Scottish Food Guide and Scottish Cheese Trail. Um, I'm a cook and I'm leader for the Arc of Taste for Slow Food Scotland. And I'm based in Fife. So it's lovely to come through to the Trossex. The sun's actually trying to shine. I know. <laughs> lovely. Um, so can you tell me, what is the Arc of Taste? The Arc of Taste is a, a virtual arc. Uh, think, think Noah, the animals going in two by two and being saved. That's the kind of where it comes from, the idea. But it's an international website. So it's for parking heritage foods that are in danger of extinction. So we've got some lovely rare apple varieties, potatoes, we've got rare breeds of animals um, and rare kinds of uh, fish dishes, more things like a like a fin and haddie, you know, a sort of prepared, typical to Scotland dish. Um, and so I research these and we pop them up on the website and they get international recognition as something special for this country. Okay, okay. And is that across the world everybody's doing it? It is across the world. It's fascinating. It's a really interesting website. Mm. We've got 59 boarded in Scotland at the moment, from uh, Shetland cattle to uh, old varieties of rhubarb. And are you trying to then propagate things like that and get other people to yes, grow them? Yes, encourage them, yes. And no crossbreeding. You know, people that want to um, to keep that heritage going and keep the breed going. Um, so, for example, some people have got rare hens um, and uh, they have lovely little blue eggs. <laughs> Interesting. And um, do you do a lot of other work with Slow Food? Yes, Slow Food's a voluntary passion. It's, it's, uh, that's the, the spare time job, if you will. So, but it, it ties in very nicely with what we're both interested in. My husband's a, a, a farmer, was a, a Swedish farmer. Okay. We now have a little croft in Sweden oh, nice. and it's all organic and he's on the board of Rare Breeds in Sweden. So it very much ties in with our philosophy. So do you spend some of your time here and some of your yeah, time? Yeah, a little bit of time in Sweden. And do you have the farm there still? Yes, okay. yes. No animals, because you can't keep animals and not yeah. be there. <laughs> but we've got a dozen heritage apple trees and a meadow. Mm -hmm. And he's Scythe's meadow um, for his friend's goats. Okay. <laughs> I suppose both here and in Scotland we've got a kitchen garden. It's very small, but it's amazing what you can grow in a small space. Yeah, yeah, we're just trying to grow our vegetables in our garden as well. <laughs> um, you, do you do workshops and things in five? Yes, I do, yes. So we've got a little cottage and I've created a wee studio there. Um, and uh, we can we run courses, um, mainly Arc of Taste and cheese and um, fika, which is Swedish baking. <laughs> okay. Um, those are the popular ones, but but there's, you know, other things. So small workshops and it's it's lovely. We've got a, a log stove we brought over from Sweden. So we, 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 we do all the baking on the log stove. Okay. And so is that, does that contribute to the hug? I don't know how to say it. Hug? Hugger. Yeah, Hugger. that's definitely hugger. <laughs> and the fika, is that, what's the difference between hugger and fika? Fika, fika is um, when, when you're, even if you're at work, you don't have to be on holiday, even when you're at work, everything stops for coffee. They drink more coffee in Sweden than Seattle. <laughs> and you've got to have cake with your coffee. Hello. So that's fika. But hugger is, is the cosiness, the winter nights, the candles. And again, baking is involved, but also um, any kind of home cooking and home crafts. And of course, all the cooking in the studio is using the produce from Scottish Food Guide. So there's a very strong link there between the producers 
and then the places to eat on the food guide are also using the Scottish produce. So that's a real strong bond. If they're not using the Scottish produce, they're not on Scottish food guide. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. And then um, what kind of things do you bake in Hooger? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, quite a lot of things with nuts, you know, with almonds is quite pop- popular in Swedish cooking. And um, the, the things like the chocolate cakes are not nearly as sweet as they are in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Far less sugary than they are in Scotland. Um, and pastries, uh, Wiener bread, which is Danish pastry if you're in Denmark, but you can't call it that if you're in Sweden. Okay. <laughs> so you've got to call it something else. Yeah. <laughs> so I do quite mean Wiener and, uh, bread. Is it, is it all, they all quite um, less sugar? Is yes, it just that they put yes. lower amounts in? Yes, it is, it's just not as sweet. And they don't put these heavy icings on top. Mm-hmm. So you might get a drizzle glaze or you might get a... a um, you know, dried apple on the top and a lot, lot more fruit and berries used in baking as well. Okay. And so do they do a lot of um, wild? Yes, wild they foods? do. It's second nature. So I don't profess to be a forager. I'm loving being involved in foraging fortnight and we forage at home. But that's uh, my husband, you know, it's in their Swedish DNA to forage. So at... at well, this time of year, we'll be collecting the brambles and the hips. Um, we've got spruce tip, tips in, um, in syrup in our fridge. And uh, all the little leaves and shoots. And we get mushrooms in Sweden. Mm-hmm. I haven't been mushrooming in Scotland yet. <laughs> Maybe I will be in a week or two. <laughs> yeah, I think there's quite a few mushroom walks, isn't there? Yes, there are. <laughs> there are. I should so, say, actually, that you're involved with organising... It's organising and promoting. Yes, yes, yes. Organising and forging fortnight. Maybe yes. we could just say a bit more about it. Yes, <laughs> I think it's brilliant. I mean, so so for a whole fortnight in September and then again in May, we're gathering foragers. We're encouraging chefs to do some foraging or to use foraged ingredients, um, and we're focusing on five regions, and really seeing what people can come up with and how imaginative they can be. And you're certainly one of the people that's very much contributing to this, which is fantastic because we, we mightn't have met. And I think it's lovely to, um, uh, it's quite a lot of the chefs that I do work with on Scottish Food Guide and collaborate with who are foragers. Um, but it's great to meet more yeah. and, and to build up a momentum. And I think what's so important is that we're actively encouraging people to maybe get away from the soap opera or the football on the TV and get out. Yeah. Fresh air, well-being, uh, good conversation, knowledge. I think there's just so much more to it. Foraging yeah. is a is a spirit and a way of life that that is very healthy, but also on a on a fresh air healthy level. Yeah, I think it's something that we've we've like lost connection to as yes. well. That maybe we we miss, you know, that kind of yes. What's he called? What do you call it? Psychoterror terrier yes. or something? I can't yeah. remember the term for it, but where we, we've got like, we've not lost that connection with nature that we really, really need for our mental health. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And the Scandinavians are better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you go for a walk, I don't know about the Trossachs, but if you go for a walk in Fife, you can go on a glorious summer evening and see no one. <laughs> and if you go for a wander in Scandinavia, Everybody's out on their decks. Everybody's out walking. Okay. Nobody's inside because you're making the most of that summer mm-hmm. before you're in for the winter. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it's a great start. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think so as well. I think they're trying to make Scotland into kind of a food 
Yes. And wild food too is destination. Right. It's similar to like Finland and yes. other places. Yes. I think that's quite a good idea. We have the nature. Yeah, We exactly. just need to use it better. <laughs> yeah. And we used it once. Mm-hmm. You know, when you had, um, I was speaking about last summer and the weather and friends of ours had a really bad season for their apples this year and they think it's because of the dry summer last year. Okay. And at times like that, our forefathers totally relied on the foraging yeah. when the harvest didn't go well. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, spent a lot of time, I read, travelling around Europe and finding out how other regions managed to get children out of the local chippy and into the <laughs> into fresh local ingredients. So what did you actually find out? Well, it, it sounds like I've been Euro-hopping. <laughs> and actually, um, it's all entirely due to either my husband or Slow Food. Okay. Because when I've been, I've been invited to speak at Slow Food conferences. They have a uh, an amazing event, um, biennially called Terra Madre, yes, and I've been invited to speak. It. <laughs> You'd love it. It's yes. life changing. So I was invited to speak at it, and I was invited to go as a as a delegate a couple of times. So I think I've been six times now or five times, and um, it's amazing. But. Because of my background and interested in food education, they had arranged for me to go and visit some schools. So I went over a couple of days earlier um, and visited some primary schools. So that was that was twice I did that. Mm-hmm. And I was taken around different schools in, in the north of Italy. And it's fascinating how different it is. You don't get a choice of 101 things. That's the bowl of pasta. That's your lunch. Um, fruit, salad. And by the way, half an hour after the primary school have eaten, in come the local council workers and get the same meal. Okay. So you, you use the kitchens again mm-hmm. and everything's fresh and simple. Um, and in Scandinavia, I took groups of catering students from Scotland over to have food learning journeys in Sweden. And during part of that, I wanted them to experience what it was like in a catering college in Sweden and also what school catering was like in Sweden. Mm-hmm. So I got access to a, a school for, for that. The catering college was amazing. The school put them the students into a state of shock. It wasn't very good. Uh. <laughs> it was the, I, I spoke to one of my students so she was helping me at the Highland Show and uh, she she's now in her 20s. And I said, what do you remember from that school lunch? And she said, it was beige. but um but the at home there's a lot of foraging um and the finns have done some interesting research into school meals and the finns have transformed their school meals with berries it'll be very interesting for you to see if they've kept up that standard but the finnish way of life um is such that people are more um they're more, what's the word, they're more recipient of taking advice. Whereas if you tell somebody in Scotland that they're to eat that, they mm-hmm. don't necessarily do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and do you think that people are healthier over there in yes. any of these places? Yes. 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 They all have the same issues that we have, that they're worried about people becoming obese yeah. and they're worried about the children, the next generation having junk food. Mm-hmm. But there is still a real communal convivial eating um you will never find uh, a house in scandinavia without a big table that people eat at okay. it might be in the middle of the living room but, but they eat at it mm-hmm. and the same in italy and when you get people together cooking together and eating together then it will be a healthier diet because mm-hmm. it's the the mass-produced industrial side you know the quick fix and the ready meals yeah. and the 
the, the, the snacking on fatty foods and processed foods that's the problem. Well, yeah, and all the ingredients that we don't actually know what's in exactly, there. Exactly, exactly. The real ingredients. The great list, that's <laughs> yeah. right. So it's, I think it still is better than us, mm-hmm. but they're worried that it's going in the same direction. And are there... When you say in the same direction, you mean the kids are starting to eat that way, or do you think other schools starting to change as well? I think I think it's the the junk food and seen as a cheap solution, mm-hmm. and it generally comes from America. Yeah. You know, the Brits get it first, but it keeps moving. Yeah. It's that if you de-skill the kitchen, then you need more prepared food, whether that's at home or in a school kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's something people are lacking, isn't it? Generally, yes. just... so you got to keep the skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a shame. And are you still doing teaching? Because you do teaching and you did teaching in school didn't you? Yes, yes. I stopped about um, four years ago actually doing a part-time teaching contract, although I hadn't done it constantly. I'd come and went. I was asked to um, run a sixth form cook school in a sixth form college, Um, set my own timetable, blank sheet of paper. It was amazing. I really enjoyed doing that because I had them doing boardroom lunches um, for for the staff so that, you know, Two or three of them were now were doing chalet girls in their spare time, you know, so that, you know, that was a useful yeah. business and catering, etc. Um, so, so I did a lot of things. They went to farm shops. They went over on two trips to Scandinavia with us. So it was a, it was a real kind of foodie course. But things change, staff change, curriculum changes. And um, the, the new hand wanted me to go back to GCSE stuff. And, okay. and I think the no way on this planet and what, I want to that's English home economics I was going to say stuff. What, what do they kind of learn in home economics these days <laughs> well not if the trouble is if you stick to that exam syllabus not a lot uh-huh. and because um practical cooking costs money it's you know the less cooking you do the more they can save on budgets yeah. so I'm a bit critical about the current state of what they do in schools there are some teachers are doing amazingly there's one I follow on Twitter who's up um, near Aviemore um, who's doing game from the local gamekeeper with her students which is fantastic but I'm afraid she's few and far between yeah we didn't do anything like that in my school no it actually put me off I think cooking for a while because nothing was ever clean and I hear chefs ranting at me about the you know now they've got kids that are at primary schools and they're doing shepherd's pie with tinned mince and tinned mm-hmm. oh. potatoes, you know, and, and you know, so so yeah, there's some disaster areas out there. But I love education, which is why I'm really enjoying doing my courses in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I dip in and out of schools if a school's having some special event, and they're local, and they say, "Will you support it?" You know, so that's that's, mm, that's good. So you're still connected then. All connected, definitely. Yes. So do you think things changed after you know after Jamie's kind of school? Um, dinner thing? Well, I actually was involved in a project, um, the East Ayrshire schools, which some people will have heard of because they were total trailblazers. East Ayrshire was doing it before Jamie Oliver. Okay. And I was working with a guy called Robin Gurley over there and he was inspired to make change and he was the first region to make change. And 10 years on, East Ayrshire school still has organic, freshly prepared food. It's not all organic, but like 20 or 30% is organic mm-hmm. and all fresh and all local. And I found all the local producers for him. Um, he costed it all out. And East Ayrshire is still a trailblazer. Wow. And East Ayrshire predated Jamie. 
But that's that's really interesting because if they can do that there, you exactly. wonder why can everybody else do it? Exactly, it's totally yeah. doable. Yeah. So they're now part of the the Food for Life scheme, which is the Soil Association Scotland um, organic meals, um, and they hold the gold award, I think. Okay. Do you know if they've noticed difference with like children's oh. ADHD levels and concentration oh, and things like that? Absolutely, without yeah. a doubt. Robin has done a, a great follow-up on the statistics and the research. Okay. And he's he's actually travelled worldwide with that statistics and report. There is no excuse for not everybody else doing it. Yeah. And they're still obviously sticking to the, the budget. <laughs> absolutely, they are. Yeah. Absolutely. And in the early days, I remember, you know, there was there was parents phoned up to rant at me because, you know, Jimmy's got peas on his plate and he doesn't like peas. You know, we were getting, we were getting that, you know, yeah. and I was saying, you know, isn't that amazing for Jimmy to get peas? It's fantastic. Isn't it exciting? You know, and he'll, he'll, he might like the peas and he can try one or two. I just wasn't having any negative. Negative was yeah. not on the list. Yeah. Everything was going to be a positive and an adventure. I think um, that's part of the problem, isn't there? Sometimes yeah. Parents kind of put their... Yes, he their won't like that. Exactly. exactly, they don't give them a chance to whether they like it or not. <laughs> and the, the thing they do in Italy is they also have kitchen gardens. So, and there's a few in Scotland, but that is another step to get a kitchen garden. And the argument for the kitchen garden is, oh, well, come the summer when everything's ready, the kids are on holiday. But they've got an answer for that in Italy because they liaise with the, the old folks' home. And so the, the, the retired people, the elderly, are only too delighted to do a bit of gardening over the summer holidays. Okay. And they get a little bit to, you know, they can pick some for their own use. And when the schools start again, the the wee ones, this is mainly primaries, um, put on a big lunch. And the people that have helped them in the garden come for lunch. That's so nice. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. prayer there's a will. Yeah. And there's a, it'll, a, there's a thing, isn't there, about kids losing that connection yes. with the earth. Yes, yes. And that's why I've set up the Little Alchemist Club as well, to Fantastic. try and get that connection yes. again. But if they could do it in schools. Yeah, yeah so... Uh, I also read that you were visiting a lot of remote dairies. Is that in yes. Norway and Sweden? Was that part of the cheese? Yes, this is yeah. this is my my husband had dairy cattle, old breed mountain cows, um, and so there's two things behind the dairy thing. I love all foods, mm-hmm. so well actually I don't love all foods. I don't love, you know, GM soya and all that rubbish. I, yeah. I love <laughs> natural foods, um, so we're pretty picky. We're ethical eaters, um, so. So because I'm very interested in dairy and he's interested in dairy um, and because he's got farming connections, we can find the places off the beaten track that other people can't find um, and go and stay on farm and watch the milk production and okay. eat it and buy it. And it's wonderful. Um, but the, um, the, the, other, the other side of that, so, so one side is our interest in the dairy and our love of cheese. But the other side is that my husband's on the board of these rare mountain cows and also um, a rare pig in Sweden mm-hmm. and so their board meetings are never in a hotel or an office they're on somebody's farm so you end up on these incredible places because it's oh it's your turn to host it this year and so during the year it's conference calls and Skype but once a year they all meet up and they all make a big effort to get there so and it's and what, always somewhere in the wilderness and what are they what are they doing sorry? they're having a board meeting for the people that have, have got these rare mountain cows or there's these rare pigs and so they're all in one place for one time a year and so there's a special feast put on it's usually uh you know the pig is involved and and meat's involved good food is involved 
um, and sometimes some music and lots of meetings, obviously. Um, but it's all self-funded. This is not a congress or an EU funding. This is this is motivated people who keep rare breeds, who bring food and get together and have their serious meetings and celebration once a year. And the rest of the year it's on Skype because they're all over the place. Okay. So you meet really interesting people. Yeah, that's um, interesting. Uh, but the ones, the ones that um, I love to visit every other year um, when we're in Sweden is um, one just up a little bit in Sweden, about eight more eight hours drive from us and another one over the border in Norway and there's what's called in Sweden a fabled and in Norway a satyr and it's a sheiling so it's that concept of a summer farm which we've lost in Scotland completely okay. but they've still got a little bit in Italy and Switzerland and France um, and they've got a few in Norway and Sweden and you can visit the summer farms so generally the animals will be up there for a couple of months and they get incredible meadow pastures okay. because of the wildflowers and the terroir up there and they make the summer cheeses up there okay and we used to do that in scotland we did we did okay. um the clearances put an end to that okay. the clearances and then two world wars there is not a shilling in scotland oh. which is a shame Patches, so so for example somewhere like aberfoyle <laughs> would have shillings because you would have the farm in the village and the homestead um and some arable land um, and probably some hay fields but come the summer you don't want the animals to munch all the hay because you need that for the winter to feed the animals mm -hmm. so you would walk the animals um, maybe for half a day or a day to somewhere up the hills a little bit where there's amazing pastures probably common grazing um, you wouldn't own it yourself it would probably be common grazing um, which is under snow in the winter but beautiful um, nutritious meadow um, untouched not ploughed or anything for the summer and there would be huts up there uh, like bothies so that somebody might would probably stay up there because the animals would stay up there mm -hmm. um, and they would make the cheeses or they would um, sometimes they would they would always milk them so sometimes they would milk them into churns and then maybe have a, a pony or a pack horse to take the churns down to the village okay. wow. and the summer milk was amazing so they had the benefit if you got the flavours from the cheese and the dairy produce and the butter, um, but they also freed up their hay to be harvested for winter feed. Okay. Yeah. Transhumans is cold, that's the, the proper word for okay. it. Um, and we have not got that anymore. No, but it's it still much exists in some places. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a shame because it's so environmental. Yeah. There is nothing that's carbon or global warming or anything about that. So don't even start me. <laughs> That's for another pod another day. But it's um it is so environmental and sustainable. Mm -hmm. And is there anybody who is it even possible to go back to something like it that? It would be possible if there was somebody dedicated. Yeah. Yes. You know, a smallholder that was interested. Um you need to be somewhere peripheral, and I mean that in a complimentary sense, like here, where you can still walk to a place where that land exists. Mm -hmm. You're not going to find it now on the edge of a, a city yeah. in the same way. Yeah. I know it's a shame you keep seeing all the houses going up on exactly. the farm places. Exactly. Yeah. So it would work in the Highlands, it would work in the Trossachs, mm -hmm. it would work on the islands. Yeah. 
So if you're interested in hearing more about any of these, they're, they're up on my blogs on scottishfoodguide.scot and wendybarry.co.uk. So you can read all about these things and find the blogs about them if you're interested. Great. I'll have a look. Thank you. And what was your website again? scottishfoodguide.scot. Okay, great. Thank you very much for your time. That was a great interview. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>